0: your seatbelts and turn up your radio, we're going on a road trip. Initially, Black History Month was a way of teaching students and young people about Black American stories, many of which had become a neglected part of the national narrative. Today, it's a celebration of those who've impacted not just the country, but the world with their activism and achievements. In Wisconsin communities and throughout the country, the month-long spotlight during February is an opportunity for people to engage with Black history, highlight Black leaders and their accomplishments, and give visibility to the people and organizations creating change. Welcome to Route 51. I'm Shereen Seward. Today we hear more about Black History Month being celebrated throughout February in a variety of ways. We invite you to join this discussion by calling 800-780-9742 or email questions and comments to ideas at wpr.org. A little later in the program, Wausau therapist and advocate LaTanya Campbell will will join us, but now we'll hear from one man who has spent decades working toward positive change. Daryl Davis is a national race relations expert and author who has spent nearly 40 years engaging with the leaders of the Ku Klux Klan and other white supremacist groups. He's with us today. His documentary, Accidental Courtesy, was screened this week at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. It was part of the university's Black History Month series of events. He will also present diversity lessons from a Black Klan whisperer on February 15th, in person at the Dreyfus University Center Theater and online. Daryl, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Why is Black History Month so important for us as a society?
1: Well, it's important to, to the degree being that we never had Black history taught in schools when I was coming up. Black History Month actually came into being in 1976, the year that I graduated high school. Now, prior to, to Black History Month, we had what was called uh, Negro History Week, which was established by Carter G. Woodson. But prior to that, we had nothing whatsoever. And so uh, black history may as well have been called uh, white history or American history, mm-hmm. because, which was all white. And uh, I, you know, I didn't learn things until I learned them at home from my parents. I didn't know that, uh, that Matthew Henson discovered the North Pole, not, not Robert Perry, uh, who was his best friend. I didn't learn that uh, in school. I learned from my parents. Today, the textbooks have changed to honor Matthew Henson. Even today, the Tulsa race riots are not in our history books, but I knew about them 30 years ago because of my parents. So this is why it's so important that all cards be turned face up on the table. Every country has history, good, bad, ugly, and shameful, and we need to address and acknowledge ours.
0: You were on NPR's All Things Considered several years ago, and you were describing the first time you befriended a member of the Ku Klux Klan. You met through music. You're a musician as well. This is such an interesting story. Can you take us through that?
1: Absolutely. Well, I was playing in a country-western band. Country music had made a resurgence uh, due to to a movie called Urban Cowboy by John Provolta. Yeah, so all the clubs that were playing disco and Top 40 and whatever else, Uh, switched their format to country. And so, you know, being a professional full-time musician, uh, I joined a country band because that was what was in demand. I was the only Black member of the band and usually the only Black person wherever we would play. The band was pretty well established here in the uh, Maryland area. And uh, they had played a place in Frederick, Maryland. Frederick, Maryland is about an hour and 20 minutes north of uh, Washington, D.C., a place called the Silver Dollar Lounge. Which had a reputation of being an all-white uh, lounge. You know, there were no signs like you know, like you saw in the history books. You know, colored water fountain, colored sure. restroom. That nothing like that. Uh, but you know, you knew that you were not welcome there if you were black. And when you go somewhere where you're not welcome, and alcohol is being served, it's not always a good combination. Well, here I was in the Silver Dollar Lounge, and after we played the first set, we're taking a break. a a white gentleman came up to me from behind and put his arm around my shoulder. Now, I didn't know anybody in here, right? I I could see the whole band in front of me walking towards the band table. So I'm turning around trying to see, you know, who's touching me because I knew the reputation Mm -hmm. of the place. And uh, this guy had a big smile on his face. He was probably 18 years older than me. And he uh, told me how much he liked the music. I thanked him and shook his hand. And then he made the comment that this was the first time he'd ever heard a black man play piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. Now, that did not offend me, but I was surprised given the fact that he was that much older than me, that he did not know the black origin of Jerry Lee Lewis's piano style, which I quickly told him that Jerry Lee got it from the same place I did, from black blues and boogie-woogie piano players, which is where that rock and roll, rockabilly style evolved. Mm -hmm. And he, he was incredulous, he didn't believe me. I said, look, man, I know Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee's a good friend of mine. He told me himself, you know, where where his influences came from. He didn't believe that either, but he was so fascinated with me, he wanted me to come back to his table and have a drink with him. I went back there, and he purchased my my cranberry juice that I asked for, and he clinked my glass with his and cheered me, and then he made this, you know, big proclamation that this was the first time he had ever sat down and had a drink with a black man. And now I'm, like, you know, totally baffled, like, how can this be? And uh, I asked him, well, long story short, he reveals that he's a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Wow. And at first, I didn't believe him. And I started laughing, thinking he was making a joke, because I know a lot about the Klan. And I know they don't just come up and hug a black guy and, you know, praise their talent and want to hang out and buy him a drink. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's a joke. I'm laughing. He went inside his wallet, produced his, his Klan membership card, handed it to me, and I stopped laughing. It was for real. Wow. But the guy... The guy was genuinely curious about me and uh, you know he wasn't trying to be offensive or anything like that but uh, he was just curious and he, and he was being sincere and uh, we, you know we talked about the clan and some other things he gave me his number and wanted me to call him whenever i was to return to the silver dollar lounge because he wanted to bring his friends meaning clansmen and clans women to see as he put it the black guy who plays piano like jerry lee now i'm not sure he called me a black guy to his friends but either way I would call him and uh, you know, whenever we were scheduled to play there, and he would come, and he would bring Klansmen and Klanswomen. And they would come and watch me play and get out in the dance room and dance. You know, they didn't come in robes and hoods. They came in the you know, regular sure. clothing. And um, i got like to know some of them. Some of them, you know, did not want to meet me. You know, they'd see me coming towards the table on the break, and a couple of them would get up and move to the other side of the room. You know, all they wanted to do was, you know, kind of observe me, which was fine. And there were others, you know, who who were genuinely interested and curious. So, you know, that was my my entree, more or less, into that world. And I decided uh, a few years later, you know, I need to write a book on this. I want to go around the country and interview different Klan people, leaders and members, and write a book on this. Because, uh, you know, music brought us together. Mm -hmm. And where can this go? So that's how it started.
0: When you ask uh, a white supremacist, a KKK member, why they hate you without even knowing you, what do you hear? Mm -hmm. Well, I hear all
1: kinds of things. Well, Mr. Davis, you have to understand something. Uh, Black people are prone to crime. That is why there are more Black people in prison than white people. The data shows that. Well, you know, when you tell me this, yes, the data does show that. That's absolutely true. But, see, they don't look beyond the data, because the data simply reinforces their, you know, their their preconceived belief that we are criminals. Uh, They don't look to see Maybe there's an imbalance in the in the judicial system that places Black people in prison uh, more often than it places white people in prison who've committed the same crime, or poor people, for that matter, uh, white or Black. Um, then I'm told that uh, Black people are inherently lazy. Uh, we prefer to scam the government welfare system than to work. Uh, you know, But the data actually shows there are more whites on welfare in this country than Blacks. Um, also, I'm told that uh, Black people are, are uh, born with a smaller brain than white people. And the smaller the brain, the, the, less, the less capacity for intelligence and the lower the IQ. And that this is evidenced by the fact that uh, every year, Black students score lower on the SATs than, uh, than white students. Again, the data does show this. Uh, uh, statistics do show this. This is true. But he does not look beyond the data, because it supports what he already believes, that we are inferior. Um, So I listen to this, and then I reply, well, you know, uh, where do most Black kids go to school? Most Black kids go to school in this country in the inner city. Most white kids go to school in the suburbs. The inner city schools, by fact, are not as good as as the suburban schools. Black kids who go to school in the suburbs can score just as high, if not higher, than some of the white kids. On the SATs. White kids who go to school in the inner city can score just as low, if not lower, than some of the Black kids. It has nothing to do with the size of the student's brain or the color of the student's skin, but has everything to do with the quality of the educational system in which that child is enrolled. And so once, you know, we get into this kind of conversation and they begin to see that, then there is a, a respect and a curiosity about you. And that's what what leads to them having a cognitive dissonance in their own mind, because they have believed, you know, a certain way for so long. And now they're struggling because they realize something is wrong with their, with their methodology of judging somebody. So they hate me because already they have a preconceived notion of me being inferior. But then through conversation, we find that we have a lot in conversation. We have a lot in common. You spend five minutes with your worst enemy, you, you, you will find something in common. You spend five more minutes, you find more in common. And by that time, you know, you're getting into a relationship with this adversary. And, and by the time, you know, you spent you know, over an hour or, or, or more a uh, time, you know, you have found so much in common that the trivial things that you have in contrast, such as uh, skin color or whether you go to a church, a synagogue, a mosque, or a temple, begin to matter less and less.
0: Daryl, I want to thank you for taking the time to share these thoughts with us today. And I can't wait to hear your presentation, Diversity Lessons from a Black Klan Whisper," That is happening February 15th at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. Um, and that will be online as well. Daryl, thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: That was national race relations expert and author Daryl Davis, our guest for the first segment of this program. Ahead, we welcome WASA therapist and equality advocate LaTanya Campbell to continue our discussion on Black History Month. We'll answer your questions, too, when you call us at 800-780-9742. You can email us, too, ideas at WPR.org. I'm Shireen Seward, This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. Welcome to Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. I'm Shireen Seward. We continue our discussion now on Black History Month. Your comments and questions are welcome too. You can email us at ideas at WPR.org or call 800 780 9742. Now we welcome Latanya Campbell, who is a mental health therapist, mentor, consultant, and advocate. She currently practices at a local outpatient mental health agency centering therapy around the individual using a strength-based integrated approach. LaTanya has significant training in diversity and experience and supervision and leadership roles as well, serving on the End Abuse Board of Directors and the City of Wausau Liberation and Freedom Committee. She was, in 2021, awarded the Dedication to Service Award from United Way Marathon County. And in 2022, LaTanya was a recipient of the YWCA Wausau Women of Vision Award. LaTanya, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. What does Black History Month mean to you? What does it symbolize?
2: Well, I think it's a time for reflection, um, a, a reflection of the past and also a prediction of the future. It means you know, embracing who we are, celebrating our strengths and also looking forward to the future.
0: What do we gain by celebrating Black History Month? We talked with Daryl about this just a little while ago. I want to get your thoughts on that. What do we gain as a society by by celebrating this every year?
2: Well, I think that it allows everyone to feel seen and connected. Um, I, I believe that it allows us to, you know, kind of reflect on the past and do better. Um, kind of see what the present day issues are and how we can come together and unite. Sometimes we only see, you know, negative things in in the media, social media or the news. And I think it's important to see all of the good things and how we can come together.
0: Why do you think it's so important to talk about race at all?
2: Because it still plays a factor into people's everyday life.
0: There's... There's a phrase we often hear, and actually we were having a conversation about this uh, off air this morning. Uh, and often we hear people say, I don't see color. We were taught this when we were younger. We we heard it in school, you know, was kind of a product of the, the civil rights movement. But there's some debate about that phrase, I don't see color. And I want to get your thoughts on that. Is colorblindness a good thing or are there problems with that perspective?
2: It's funny you ask that, because I do an entire presentation on the importance of seeing color. I believe that phrase was initially um, started being said so that people could say they weren't racist or didn't have racist ideals, um, that race didn't play a factor into, like, you know, social construct or systems of oppression. But in all actuality, it's a lie. Everyone sees color. I mean, from the lady on the elevator grabbing her pearls or locking their door when they see a man of color. Um, So it's not truthful, but it's like a niceness, you know, a nice way to say, hey, uh, I'm not racist. I believe in what Martin Luther King Jr. said on just being, you know, judging people on the contents of their character versus their color. And so I think in order for us to come together, we have to see one another. We have to see our strengths. We have to see our struggles in order for us to be able to grow, you know, as a community and as a nation.
0: That's interesting that you have an entire presentation on this. It's uh, you know it's something that uh, something again that we were taught when we were younger, and it seems like there's been a, a shift in the way people think about that. Is that the case?
2: There is and there isn't. Sometimes I feel like we went 25 years behind time. Um, sometimes I feel like we are progressing and going forward, um, but. I, I would say, like, after the George Floyd incident, I bring that up a lot. The nation, I don't know if it was because of COVID or what was going on, but they started paying attention. And they saw a Black man murdered on, on TV. And so you have to see code. You have to see the lives that are being impacted by the racial construct.
0: Each year, Black History Month has a different theme. This year, it is resistance. When I saw that, I had kind of a, I don't know, I I, I questioned it. Like, why? So tell me, why that theme? What what does it convey? Why is that an important theme to have?
2: I'm not really sure why that was the theme this year, but when you said that, it brings me um, to Angela Davis and just her fight for civil rights, you know, in the past and still present day. Resistance can look like, you know, educating yourself, getting familiar with what some of the um, disparities are, and using your voice and voting and getting involved in the community. Resistance, to me, means not settling, not assimilating, and not just going with the status quo. Standing firm in your ideals and being able to um, work together, right? Black people can't do this by themselves. We never have done this by ourselves. We've always had to have, um, you know, Allies, we've always had to have partners, and I don't think that any movement is, you know, done by that particular group alone. Even the women's movement, you know, it wasn't just white women doing it work; it was black women, it was the LGBTQ community. So we have to come together, um, and resistance means not just accepting what is
0: and overcoming. Yes. Okay. The, the raised fist that we see uh, when mm-hmm. when we talk about. Um, resistance, too. Uh, some people have raised concerns about that. You posted some really interesting thoughts on your personal Facebook page about that fist. I wanted to bring that up. Can you talk about that? Why are fists used as symbols of this movement?
2: Well, fist means strength, mm-hmm. right? Fist means, like, you're going to fight. You're not going to just settle and accept. Um, fist is not just about, the you know, standing up and pushing back, but also— being able to heal, being able to grow, being able to build, being able to look forward into the future on what it could look like for our children, um, specifically my grandchildren. My kids are old enough now where they've experienced a lot of things, but I'm hoping to make some changes so that my grandkids don't continue to experience those same things. It means, you know, standing firm in your ideals and leading and pulling people up and bringing people alongside of you. It means embracing. One another, inspiring one another.
0: One phrase we often hear during Black History Month is "Black excellence." What does that phrase mean to you? Well, um, Black excellence to me it looks
2: at it things holistically. So it means healing, whether that's intergenerational trauma, whether that's historical trauma. Um, black excellence means educating yourself, whether that's you know through trade, through education, through training. Um, through courageous community conversations, it means keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, black excellence means, you know, empowering and elevating all marginalized communities. Black excellence to me just means doing you.
0: There are some imp- obvious important figures in Black history. So many people who inspire us when we look to Rosa Parks and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The people who really were landmarking change. Who are some of the others that we should be aware of? Well,
2: Angela Davis definitely um, speaks to me. Uh, Maya Angelou speaks to me. Uh, Serena Williams. I also, right now, I just finished reading Michelle Obama's book. And the vulnerability and the transparency, um, to me, that was healing and empowering. And so, Definitely, I, obviously, you could tell women.
0: <laughs> <laughs> women keep me going. Yeah. Same here. Same here. I mean, there's, there are so many uh, black entertainers, too, who have paid, paved the way uh, for, for today's musicians and, and actors and actresses as well. Our country is so, is so politically polarized. We, we hear so much of this. Uh, all you have to do is open up social media and there are fights everywhere. What kind of impact has that political polarization had on the issue of race in America?
2: Honestly, I feel like it makes people lose their humanity. It's about power, control, money, and wealth, um, and not necessarily about you know your neighbor, your friends, your family. And people are losing their humanity, and they're so much so stuck to certain ideals that they're not open to learning and to growing and seeing things from other perspectives. Sometimes I don't even understand, right? It can be something that you know is just blatantly ridiculous, but people will go with it just because that's what their party is, associates it with.
0: Mm-hmm. So, has it complicated things then?
2: I would say so. I mean, you can you right now. I mean, we're still having conversations about vaccinated, unvaccinated, masked or unmasked. Like that's really ridiculous.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It
2: mm-hmm. should be about. Humanity and doing what's best for all of us, and I, am one of those firm believers in, you know, you can establish all the wealth and power yourself, but you're gonna get even further when you pull someone else up. When the person who doesn't have a house doesn't have a food, when they're fed, clothed, and housed, you're gonna do better.
0: Listening to Latonya Campbell, our guest today on Route 51, as we discuss Black History Month and how it is celebrated in the area. 800 780 9742, the number to call if you have a question or a comment to share. Um, There have been uh, quite a few recent controversies over how race is taught in the school. Some people say, this kind of echoes a time when Black history was ignored. Does it feel to you personally like a case of history repeating itself, or is this different?
2: Well, I guess it's along the same lines. I think my grandma used to say there's nothing new around the sun. But, you know, there's a history period where they were burning books, right? And so to me, the greatest trick the devil ever played was making the world believe that he didn't exist. And so if we don't have the conversations, if we don't shed light on what the history is and what the current data shows, then there can be no change.
0: What do you think that students should be taught about this? I I think, honestly, critical thinking.
2: You know, we we teach things from one perspective and one lens, but we're not teaching the kids to think critically about that. For example, when we start talking about, you know, the territory expansion, when, when we're talking about, you know, Americans expanding and taking over land like Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, California, what we're talking about is displacing a whole group of people. We're talking about interrupting families' lives, interrupting their wealth, and then pushing them out. But we're not teaching our kids how that impacts. We're just teaching them one particular lens from one framework. Same with Christopher Columbus. You know, he's supposed to came here and discovered. He can't come discover something that belonged to someone else when someone else was already living there. But we don't talk about that.
0: What other things about Black history are ignored in textbooks today? Are there things that are still missing that you see as problematic?
2: Yes. The whole struggle and the fight is missing. We talk about slavery, we talk about MLK, we talk about Rosa Parks, but we're not talking about, you know, biases, implicit biases. We're not talking about the strength and the overcoming of it. We're not talking about the fact that, you know, when we go back to the proclamation, we're not talking about the fact that two years after the fact of slaves being free, that there were still people in bondage. We're not talking about, you know, they were still indentured servants working for free. We're not talking about the mass incarceration where, you know, the prioritization of prisons where people are still being forced to work for free. So there's a whole lot that, that's missing from it. We're not talking about colorism. We're not talking about the 1% drop rule. All those things are still factoring I and mean, still playing a part in our lives every day.
0: What do you think has to happen to change all of that? What, what do you think, where, where, does, where does the solution lie here?
2: I believe the solution lies in hearts and minds, just being open, um, putting aside our shame, guilt, defensiveness, and having actual conversations and being willing to love one another. Um, I think that's where it comes in. That's what's going to make things change, whether that's system or in personal-to-person interactions.
0: What do you think the school the school districts, the school systems in, in this country need to do to overcome those deficits that you talked about? Um, where does that change begin? I would
2: love to say training, right? But you can have all the training in the world. Um, in fact, I just did a training. And the, one of the um, people answered like a survey result and said that my presentation came, you know, was biased. Um, which means you didn't listen to or hear or open up your heart and mind to anything that I said. Um, So I would love to say training, you know, implicit bias training, history training, um, just being able to have those relationships and listen. But it really starts person to person in in our hearts and in our minds. I just had a student panel of African-American youth talking about some of their experiences in the community as well as school. Um, Those weren't things that they had just made up and said, you know, those weren't the first time that the school administration heard it. But yet now, you know, it's starting to, um, I want to say it's starting to trickle down and conversations are starting to happen, but it should have been happening when these kids initially approached about what they were experiencing.
0: Have we seen positive change, though? I mean, is the educational system, when it comes to teaching history, is it better than it was, say, when we were kids, uh, you know, ten, twenty, even thirty years ago? Is it? Is, has it changed? From a personal standpoint, I'm going to say no. I
2: remember sitting in a predominantly white classroom, the only black person there, watching Root and hearing about slavery, and everyone staring at you in the classroom. Um, I remember, you know, getting pushed in the hallways, getting called the N word. I remember that being used, you know, when teachers were talking about um, some of the experiences, we're still doing the same thing. My kids are still going through the same thing. So in that regard, I'm gonna say no.
0: Do you recall the first time that you were met with uh, with racism? I have a very good friend who tells a very vivid story about that that very thing it is ingrained in his mind because when he was a child, it didn't occur to him that there would be such a thing until it happened. Do you remember when it happened to you? Yes, but there's so many stories to that. Um, I
2: do remember a lot of the incidents. I want to say the large incidents, though, aren't what impacts me. You know, like those one um, incidents that were, really blatantly in your face it's the constant microaggressions that impacts me on a daily basis that are more harmful to me than those big incidents those big incidents you can chalk it up to that person is racist right um like i believe the gentleman that was talking about the ku klux klan you know mm-hmm. they have similar ideologies but you kind of know where you stand at with those people it's the people that are supposed to be your friends it's the people that are smiling in your face um and you're trying to figure out, is it me, is it them, what's going on? Those are the instances that impact me more drastically.
0: When you, when you are faced with that, when you are faced with the, the microaggressions you talk about that you, that you feel on a daily basis, how do you chip away at that? How do you chip away at the ideology of the person that you're talking to? Do you address it, or do you ignore it? How do you handle it personally?
2: Well, it's funny you ask that. I think it was last week I went into a store. I was doing a leadership um, presentation. So I was getting the kids a whole bunch of candy because I wanted to talk about privilege, and I was going to do an exercise. And so there was a person that, you know, I went to self-checkout, and when I went to the self-checkout aisle, there was four people also self-checking out, and the attendant was by them. Well, when the attendant saw that I was going to the self checkout, that person left those four people and came and stood two feet by me and watched me scan item by item as if I could fill um, bags of candy. Or I guess she probably assumed I wasn't going to swipe everything. Well, when I would look up at her, she would start looking up in the sky as if she wasn't standing right over me watching me scan everything. I had, you know, I could have addressed it right then and be like, you know, what is the problem? Why did you purposefully come right over here to me and watch me scan every item? Um, obviously, being a black woman, you feel like she's doing that because I'm, I'm black. But then if I would address it, then she would get defensive, and then she would call security, and then security call the police, and then it turns into a whole thing when I'm just trying to get bags of candy to facilitate a presentation for some youth. And so I just finished scanning my items, and I left. But... I was really upset, but you can't even really address that because then I'm considered the angry black woman and it can turn all the way into something else. And so I talk to close friends that can also relate and I will vent my frustrations. And then I try to educate people on the back end.
0: Latanya Campbell is our guest today on Route 51 as we continue our discussion On Black History Month, its significance in central Wisconsin communities, we'd like to hear from you, too. You can join us at 800-780-9742. You can also send an email to ideas at wpr.org. I'm Shereen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. For listening to Route 51, I'm Shereen Seward with our guest, LaTanya Campbell. What would you like to know? Email us at ideas at wpr.org or join us by phone at 800-780-9742. Our subject today is Black History Month being celebrated throughout the month of February. LaTanya, when you look at the many struggles and fights that Black Americans have had throughout history, what are some of the biggest victories that have led to positive change? What do you look at that inspires you and you say, yep, this was a turning point?
2: Hmm. Well, obviously, you have like the big ones when you're talking about Rosa Parks and MLK. Um, but then also when you're talking about like John F. Kennedy and other people getting on, on board and advocating and actually seeing some of the disparities in the lives lost and joining in the movement to be able to enact change. Um, when I think about you know Obama becoming president, never in my life had I imagined you know that we would have a black president. When we talk about Kamala Harris you know becoming the vice president, that was huge. Um, when we look at the Supreme Court and the justices, um, I think those were some of the turning points. And I don't want to say necessarily for the country, but for black people to be able you know especially the youth to be able to see themselves in a positive light. When you set the bar even higher of things that we can accomplish, um, I think those are our turning points.
0: We have Martha from Menominee on the phone. Thanks for calling Martha.
3: Oh, it is a pleasure. I am so looking forward to speaking with your guests and I grew up outside of washington d c and I took piano lessons at a house next door to uh, to the Justice Thurgood Marshall. And uh, it, was, it was an eye-opener for me. Across the highway was a very um, low-income, uh, people of color neighborhood. And what I have found is that white folks like me need black heroes. Uh, black heroes, you know, sports figures, literary, um, legal, it doesn't matter. White people need to know who George Washington Carver was. You like peanut butter? Learn who George Washington Carver was. You know, you you like um, legal work, learn who Justice Damon Keith was and all the work he did
0: um, for everyone in our society, not just black folks.
3: Thank you, Martha. Um, What do
0: you what do you say about that? Uh, I mean, how important it is, is it for for us to have those heroes? Latanya? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought uh, we were talking to her. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. No, words,
2: I, I certainly agree. You know, she's absolutely right. I think it is important, um, and that's par- that's definitely what Black History Month is about.
0: I want to ask you a little bit about your your career. What what inspired you to enter the field of diversity consulting, and what is the job like?
2: The job is draining. Um, The job tends to take more out of you than it gives you. Um, I initially entered, you know, I've been doing anti-oppression work probably for over 10 years. I was a supervisor at the women's community providing um, supportive services to victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. But when you start looking at the anti-violence movement, the anti-oppression movement goes hand in hand. So when you start looking at systemic oppression and how, you know, women are paid less and black women and uh, indigenous women and Latinx women are even less, right? And so they go hand in hand. And in order to for people to be safe and stable, we have to address
0: both. You say your passion is building resilience, motivating all to thrive, inspiring diversity champions. Can you how do you accomplish those goals? Can you break that down for us a little bit?
2: So I accomplish those goals by building relationships, Um, letting people know me. And when you're talking about anti-oppression work, you know, that puts me in a vulnerable place. That puts me in a place where, you know, I'm pleading for help and allyship. And so letting people know me intimately and kind of being able to um, get at, you know, their heart so that they can open up their mind. I can tap into whatever their strengths are to be able to build a better community. And I believe that starts with relationships, knowing your neighbors, you know, knowing your coworkers.
0: What does a diversity champion do?
2: The diversity champion does a lot of self-reflection. They do a lot of educating themselves and realizing that they're not perfect, they're gonna mess up. But when you do mess up, you own it, you apologize and you do better. Um, It's not just a one and done, it's a continuous lifelong process of growing. And not only for yourself, but educating those around you, um, loving those around you, and using your voice to be able to empower others to elevate marginalized communities. um, And, you know, plant seeds wherever you go in your daily interaction.
0: i want to ask you, too, about the City of Wausau Liberation and Freedom Committee. Talk about that a little bit. What is it? What's it doing in the community?
2: So we've been kind of on a pause for a while. I believe we're trying to figure out um, a new chairperson. They had to be someone from the City of Council along with other community members. So we've kind of been on pause. But what we've been doing um, previously, we were looking at different, um, different struggles of different marginalized communities and how the city can band together and do better. So, for example, and and that includes bringing awareness to issues that the community might not be aware of. Um, for example, we were working on the anti-conversion um, ban. So basically what that is for the LGBTQ community. Um, Some people still practice, you know, conversion therapy instead of just accepting people for who they are and loving people for where they're at. And so we wanted to talk about, you know, how that impacted people personally on a mental health level and say that wasn't something that was acceptable here in the city.
0: Interesting. Do you feel like you're making some inroads here?
2: I do. um, I do believe I am... um, By building, like I said, building relationships and and having conversations, not everybody might not get it, but just, you know, when one or two people get it, then that means that they're going and talking to other people, and it's a trickle-down effect, domino effect.
0: Earlier, you mentioned uh, the panel, the student panel that you were a part of last week. It was, uh, And this is all part of the Wausau's Black History Month events. Uh, The student panel last week, tell us about that. I'm I'm curious what you're hearing from the youth in our community about their understanding of Black history and diversity issues.
2: Well, I I organized that event because the Black students were feeling silent. They were feeling like they weren't heard. Um, They felt like You know, the things that were happening, they were anomaly. And so I wanted, you know, on a a couple different things, I wanted to make sure that the youth felt heard, they felt seen. I wanted them to know that their voices had value and that their experiences traumatic, they weren't alone. Although they were traumatic, they weren't alone in those experiences. I also wanted them to know that um, how they were feeling, you know, deep in their soul. Again, that they weren't alone and that they weren't, it wasn't something that they were making up in their head, you know, it wasn't on them. It was on us to do better. And I do feel like when you hear personal experiences, that it does shed light and that I'm hoping that it planted some seeds for people to want to do that personal self-reflection to be able to do better.
0: Latanya Campbell is our guest today as we're continuing our discussion on Black History Month and its significance. The number to call 800-780-9742. You talk about having conversations with uh, with people and you know how it all starts with one-on-one and meeting kind of that hatred with patience and listening. How difficult is that when emotions are so highly charged at times? Well, it
2: definitely takes a strategic approach. Um, Me, myself, I'm I'm balancing a lot of different hats, you know, when I'm having these conversations. Um, You know, being black, being a woman, um, and not trying to be seen as angry or arrogant, also trying to be seen as articulate and intelligent. It's a lot of dancing. Um, and being strategic Um, but I kind of feel like light has shaped me to be able to do this
0: Listening to you and and also hearing Daryl earlier talk about those misconceptions that people have about about other people and about other uh, uh, people of color where do you think hate begins? Daryl talked about Uh, talking to KKK members who hated him without even knowing him. Where does that, where does that begin? Where does it start? We're not born with it. No, we're
2: not born with it, but we're socialized to it. I believe me and you did a beyond the headlines event, you know, about 10 years back Mm -hmm. and there's different, you know, um, there's different things that we see, um, whether it's in the history books, whether it's watching television, on social media that plants these seeds, but, you know, obviously in our families and how we're, we're grown up and what their ideals and ideals are.
0: As we're recognizing Black History Month, we're obviously we're encouraged to celebrate and understand the essential role that Black Americans play in our history and it's a time that's devoted to recognizing the experiences and successes of Black Americans, but it's also a chance to reflect on historical disenfranchisement. So what are some of the biggest challenges and barriers that Black Americans still face today, no matter how far we've come? Well, we
2: still uh, experience barriers in our educational system, healthcare, financial system, our criminal justice system. Um, in every system, there's uh, power and control. Um, imbalance. And we're still struggling in all of those different systems.
0: How big an issue are those microaggressions you spoke of earlier this hour? How big an issue are they and and stereotypes today? Well, I would say that
2: it's a a really huge issue. It's called race-based trauma. And it manifests itself in anxiety, you know, traumatic experiences like post-traumatic stress, it looks like depression, it looks like a lower self-worth, um, it can look like, you know, a mistrust of systems and not being able to seek out help when you need help because you don't trust those systems. Um, it can look like broken homes, it can look like alcoholism, drug addiction, it can look like just, I mean, it can look a lot of things, It manifest in diabetes, heart you know, heart issues, heart uh, cholesterol. So basically, it impacts the body, it impacts the mind, it impacts how we show up. You know, every day.
0: Earlier in the hour, we were talking about the phrase "I don't see color," and you talked about how important it is to see color and to recognize it and to recognize the you know the individuality there. How can we, I don't even know how to ask this question. How can we respect that and, and see those differences and understand those differences and understand the racial identity, but still seeing us as a unified people? How do we balance those two things?
2: Because everybody's unique, right? There are certain things that, you know, they're a foundation of a person. You know, when you talk about a family, you know, you have a, a family unit that's the foundation, but there's different personalities um, within that unit. There's different experiences, there's different educational levels, there's different interests, but you're still a family unit. And a family unit, you know, it's, the foundation is love and trust and mutual respect. And I think if we have that foundation of love, trust, you know, mutual respect, then we can appreciate our experiences, good and bad, appreciate who we are and how we show up in the world.
0: Black History Month going on throughout February, uh, throughout the entire country. Of course, there are a lot of things happening in the community to to celebrate Black History Month and commemorate that. Are there some ju- some suggestions you have for us, things that we can do individually to encourage a better understanding during this month, this Black History Month?
2: I say, you know, get in your books, educate yourself, you know, take a step back and reflect on how you are and how you use your voice, how you use your privilege, you know, watch movies. I know um, Nicole has the 1619 project on Hulu. I believe HBO had a series with Angela Davis and some other folks, you know, educating. There's a lot of movies right now on Netflix, Amazon, uh, Prime, Start learning and and reflecting. Talk to your neighbors. Get involved with things that are going on in the community. We're going to be having a trivia night coming up here on February sixteenth. Come you know come to the historical society and and participate in the trivia night. Come to the Black History Month celebration on the twenty fourth at Whitewater Mo- Music Hall and connect and learn. When she was talking about, she used to, the caller was talking about. She used to live by Thur, um, Thurgood Marshall. She got to develop a personal relationship, and which obviously probably sparked curiosity. Develop some personal relationships with, the, with your neighbors.
0: So you have a couple of, of events coming up. You just mentioned them. I, w- I want to give you a chance to talk about that a little bit, bit more. So the Marathon County Historical Society has Trivia Night. That's uh, When is that?
2: That's going to be on February 16th from 530 to 830 p.m.
0: And then there's another event at Whitewater Music Hall in Warsaw.
2: Um, yes, that'll be on February 24th.
0: We'll have Great. We'll have some information about that also on uh, on our website wpr.org/root51 when we put the information up about about this, this program. So we'll be sure to include that. What do you want people who aren't black to understand about black history and Black History Month?
2: I would love them to understand. Most of the time I hear the pushback of how come there is not a white history month? Why do you have black history month? And so I want to them to understand that we're humans and we've been dehumanized, you know, for centuries. And that is nothing wrong with honoring and recognizing the black community and its excellence um, and embrace that.
0: Do you feel... Hope for the future. Do you feel that that things will improve? That the community will be more united as time goes on?
2: I I am very hopeful, um, which is why I continue to do this work. And so um, yes, I do feel like it's going to get better. It takes time. Sometimes you feel like you go backwards, but sometimes you feel like you you know you're moving fast ahead. So the fact that the community has things like the Liberation and Freedom um, Committee. You have different organizations doing like, DEI statements and wanting to do the work here on bringing folks together. I think that speaks volumes. The fact that Wausau East have a African-American Heritage Club, you know, that's huge. I have two older kids that graduated from Wausau East, and that, that community um, support wasn't there, but now it is.
0: I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing all of these thoughts with us. You're listening to Route 51. I'm Shereen Seward. Sincere thanks to Daryl Davis and LaTanya. Thank you. Best wishes to you. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. Our producers are Joy Kramer and Kate Spranger. Our executive producer is Rick Ryer. Joy is our on-air producer today. Thanks to John Altenberg for the Route 51 theme. You can hear the archive of today's program as well as our previous programs at WPR.org slash Route 51. If you have an idea for a future program, email us at ideas at WPR.org. We'd love to hear from you. Next week, we'll be back with another fascinating discussion, and we hope you'll join us. Until then, we're heading out of town.